On the Other Side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. It has since been taken offline by Open Stories, but you can now find an archive of all 15 episodes on chrisway.com slash O-T-O-S or on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. On the Other Side was a podcast project dedicated to discussing religious, post-religious, and religion-adjacent issues from a distinctly millennial perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of On the Other Side. I am your host for today, Chris Way. Uh, So without further ado, I would love to introduce our topic and our guests for today. Today, we're going to talk about mental health and faith transitions. This is something that we've been chatting about, uh, me and the other hosts, um, something that we've been wanting to dig into for a while, something that a lot of listeners have been sending us questions about. Uh, so today, we thought we'd bring in a couple of experts. Uh, these are two good friends of mine that I've known for a while, Brianna and Troy. Uh, why don't you guys say hello? Hey. Hi. Brianna, is, uh, you're a therapist at an alcohol addiction treatment center, is that right? Yes, sir. It's a dual diagnosis treatment center. So all of my clients have some kind of substance abuse along with some other kind of mental health disorder. Okay. And how long have you been working there? I've worked there for about a year and three months now. Cool. Awesome. And um, yeah, as if, if I remember right, you've worked in a variety of other places that are similar, specializing in like other psychological needs, military sexual trauma, learning challenges, attachment issues, things like that. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, I did a year at the VA and I did a lot with the LGBTQ veterans. Um, and I also did a lot with sexual trauma. And then I did a year where I was doing substance abuse again before the VA. So good stuff. Welcome to the show, Brianna. Um, and Troy, you are, uh, you have also worked in a variety of various places, uh, dealing with different populations, different psychological needs, attachment issues, sexual behavioral problems. And you're currently a therapist at Encircle. Is that right? Yes, among other places and things. Cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I do um, mental health counseling here at Encircle and another LGBT-friendly um, nonprofit um, called Authentic Awareness. And so, yeah. Um, for, for our listeners who, some of our listeners might not know what Encircle is. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Ooh, I don't know if I'm like the best person to say that, but... Okay. <laughs> And Circle is basically a nonprofit started here in Provo a year and a half ago. Um, like it officially opened its doors about a year and a half ago. Basically just trying to be an LGBT resource center for, um, for youth and young adults in the Provo, Utah area. Just helping them um, with kind of the cultural issues about what it's like to be gay um, in Utah County. Cool. Um, or Utah in general. Yeah. That's really important work. Um, and our listeners might not know this, but um, I have also worked with both of you in the past, in a past life before I kind of changed careers. I was uh, working in mental health, looking to potentially uh, pursue a career in uh, becoming a therapist or something like that. And before I changed my mind, I, I that's how I met both of you, working at a residential treatment center, um, specifically specializing in a population of adolescents that had learning challenges and attachment issues, mood disorders, things like that. It was really rewarding, interesting, um, cool work, very formative work, I would say. So we'll, we'll probably dig into that. We'll probably make some references to our work together and our listeners um, might not know. So I thought I'd throw that out there up front. Let's start with, uh, let's talk a little bit about, well, religion. I think that's a little relevant, right? This is, um, as you know, a podcast about faith transition in a lot of ways. I mean, most of our listeners are probably uh, people who are either struggling to figure out how to deal with the faith crisis or faith transition, many of whom are leaving the Mormon church or who have recently left it and, and are kind of trying to figure that out, um, or other religions, or some of our listeners are don't belong to any religion at all, and they're just curious about these kind of spiritual or faith-related questions uh, in their lives, and all catered, of course, specifically to millennials. So why don't we start with that, since all three of us are millennials, have various relationships to our faith, our spiritual journeys. Um, why don't we start with you, Brianna? Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to religion or faith or Mormonism um, in whatever level of detail you'd like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, oh, I don't even know how far back to go with this one. <laughs> um, but I was you grew up Mormon, raised, right? 
I grew up Mormon. Yes. I, I belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day oh, Saints. Is actually right. That's, uh, that's so. the current uh, lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, I grew up um, Mormon and I grew up all over the world. My dad was in the Air Force. And so I was one of those, quote unquote, cool Mormons because you weren't from Utah. And so, like, you acted normally. Right. Yeah. So, um it, I got to see the church in different aspects and different cultures and different lives. And like, that was a really enriching thing because I feel like if I would have grown up in Utah, I would have rebelled at age like 10 and been like, I'm done. I'm over this really fast. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I got to really experience kind of the Mormon culture all over the world, which was neat. Um, so I, I was in and like very quote unquote into the church my entire life. I feel like a lot of it was a family obligation and kind of a greater calling and a greater good. Um, but when I went, so I went to BYU and I did that because in my head, that's where the smart Mormons went. And I was a smart, intelligent Mormon woman. And I was going there not to get married, but because I like, I was going to get a degree there because I was intelligent and I was going to get through it. So, um, but when I went there, it was like my faith started to crumble every day. It seemed like something came up, the conversation I had, people I was interacting with, like every day there would be something that kind of, I guess they call it the shelf, right? That would put another thing on my shelf and it like, it was crumbling and crumbling. And, um, I had a roommate come out to me and I did a lot of work around that for my own personal identity, but also for her and like finding USGA and finding resources and being like, wow, like this is other things were like little things for my shelf, but this one, like this is intense. Like, I don't even know how to like cope with this, like how negatively religion treats people in the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, Our listeners so. might not know USGA is, um, understanding same gender attraction, right? It's a on-campus group. Is yes. that right? So it's, they've been wanting it to be recognized by BYU for years. I don't know if they have yet, to be honest with you. I'm like so like far removed from BYU at this point. But um, when I was there four, five, six years ago now, they were trying so hard to get them like as a, like a club that was recognized Mm -hmm. by BYU and they wouldn't do it because that was almost giving them the okay that it was okay to be gay. And so like they, even though they were trying to be spiritual and just trying to have like a connected, like you can be gay and still have the spirit with you and still be in the church, um, BYU was not having any of it. So, but it was still like a resource for people in that community who are also BYU students, just like be interact, not feel like they were ostracized, not feel like they were not human, all those kinds of things. So, so yeah, so that was kind of the resources I was leaning on, reaching out to finding, Um, but it didn't, it didn't like soothe anything. Like I kept doing it and kept doing it and kept trying and it didn't really, um, relieve any of the heartache that I was having in the Mormon church. Um, but I like kept going to BYU. I got my four year degree at BYU and about the time that I was graduating, I was like, I gotta be like all in or all out. Like, I just got to try this or just like leap out of it. So I went, I went to the temple. I did it all. I did the 150. I was all in and Mm. I hated every minute of it. Like from the second I walked in the temple, I was like, this does not feel right to me. So I did a lot of soul searching for about seven months going to the temple. I really went there for like a greater sense of being as a woman in the church because everyone always talked about like heavenly mother and like this greater like purpose for womanhood. And so I thought those answers would be answered in the temple when Mm. they weren't, (laughs) I was kind of shattered. Um, and like searching, kept searching for that and about seven, eight months down the line and it still wasn't there and I still wasn't finding anything out of the church. I kind of made my exit strategy and it was messy and it was awful and it was like breaking up in like an abusive relationship and there was toxicity, there was shame and guilt that I still struggle with on a day-to-day basis. But, um, my family are all really active. Um, I have good relationships with them all now, but that definitely took a lot of work in between. How long would you say it was between you telling them I'm done with this church and and you being able to wake up in the morning and say, I think I have a good relationship with them now? How long do you think that process? I'm sure it's ongoing, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's definitely ongoing, but I think it it took about a year before they, they, I, I, like you said, I could wake up and be like, I could call my mom today and she won't try yeah. to relate everything back to the gospel. I could call my dad today and he won't try to like somehow get me tied back into the church. So that's hard work. Yeah, yeah it is for sure. <laughs> so where do you feel like you are now as far as your relationship to faith, to spirituality, to religion generally? So I've been doing a lot of my own personal work 
Um, I think the best therapists have therapists and I have been like doing a lot of good work in individual therapy with myself and figuring out what that means for me. I think I, this is going to sound really hippie, but I think I, I believe more in like, like a universal, um, aspect of religion and just like that the universe gives you what you put out and that it like puts things and people in your life when you need them. And I've been working on this thing of impermanence, um, and how beautiful of a concept that is for me because I was Mm. always scared of endings. I feel like the church sets you up to be scared and fearful of ends of relationships, ends of marriages, ends of life. And so they are constantly like, no, everything's forever. Everything's forever. Everything's forever. So when I found myself like friendships ending or I found myself relationships ending it's like oh my god like I have this tension in my heart that like I can't cope with because I have this shame and fear over endings and so now I'm going around this beautiful concept of impermanence and like loving something for what it is and just because it ends doesn't make it any less beautiful for what it was and that's kind of been my spirituality lately is just oh I love that yeah you're right it does sound hippy dippy but it also sounds beautiful and really yeah (laughs) I know right I'm way into it way into that um, Troy, can we, uh, can we talk about you for a minute? Sure. And the question is just kind of like, is my own faith transition? Yeah. Where I'm yeah. At now, correct. Before I start. Things. <laughs> um, well, like Brianna, um, I was raised in the LES church. Um, I grew up in Southern California, big Mormon family, um, seven brothers and sisters, my parents all still very active in the church. My grandpa was a patriarch growing up in the town that I was raised in. So, like, when I was introduced to people and they found out who what my last name was, it was always like, oh, your grandpa gave me my patriarchal blessing. He's such a great guy. Like, it's just very known that my family was yeah. religious and very known that we were Mormon. Um, just very established in the community there and in the belief system. Um I, so I grew up LDS. I served an LDS mission, did the whole two years and those types of things. Um, after my mission, I had moved to Utah. I did a semester at BYU, and then I wasn't going to school. I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do. But ended up that I've lived in, in Utah for the last eight or nine years. Um, so a lot of my faith transition happened here in Utah. Um, and I guess for me... I mean, it, it was a huge process, right? I think it's, there's like, a, there's like a grieving process that happened for me where it was like, um, I have this thing that I love and I'm committed to, but at the same time, it doesn't make me happy the way that it promises to make me happy. Um, I was struggling with my own sexual identity because I, I am gay and just trying to figure out like, how does that fit in for me um, with church and with family and the eternities. Right. And so not really knowing which direction to go. It was very lonely, very isolating in a lot of different ways. Um, and I guess like it wasn't something that was like one day to the next. I know, um, like Brianna mentioned, like sometimes you feel like you have to yeah. be all in or all out. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't that way. I think I kind of drug myself through everything <laughs> just to try to find a place that, felt good right so kind of keep the authentic parts of myself and my childhood and like um and just how I was raised right like my mindset my personality like the belief systems that I grew up with right it was something that I, I felt like I couldn't just give up in a day but I also knew that I had to let go but I had to hold on so it was a really hard conundrum to be in for a very very long time um yeah I relate to that a lot, the slow kind of process of trying to figure out what gray area between the black and white is most appropriate. Yeah. It's like dredging process of like, I need to figure this out, but I'm not figuring it out and nothing feels really good. So I think I've, I've, I've arrived to a good place. Right. And I think a lot of that, I mean, where I am spiritually now and how I relate to religion. So I think I had to really kind of parse out the difference between what is spirituality and what is religious culture or religiosity, I guess you could say. Um, just trying to understand like how um, to still kind of maintain a belief in a higher power and God. And for me, I think I use Christianity as like my benchmark still to this day, right? Like 
when it comes back to like anything that happens in my life, I think about like, well, what is like the definition of a good Christian, right? Like Mm -hmm. I always use Christianity and like Christ like attributes as like the benchmark of like, is this a good person or not? Or what's really going on here? What improvements can we make? Um, So I think I've landed into a place where I think I have been able to separate like my own personal belief in, in Christian ideals. um, Yeah. And have that be very separate than a religious practice where religious is more of like a collective group of people who worship in a certain way. Um, But just making that kind of a personal experience for me rather than like a shared experience that I have to share with other people that has to be uniform in the way that other people practice religion. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. So instead of, yeah, instead of focusing on the organization or the sharing of a commonality, um, you're just looking inward and, and, the thing inside you seems Christian, even if it's not the Christian right. faith or a Christian religion. Yeah. Right. Cause that's cool. how it was formed within me. Right. Like I was raised with those ideals, with that mindset, with those, that vocabulary. Right. Right. Uh, this yeah. is what makes you a good person. This is what um, are the values and standards to live by, etc. And so I think some of those things are good things that I've like held on to. Um, However, yeah, it doesn't look like Mormonism or it doesn't look like um, any other religious Protestant, Baptist, you know, whatever other Christian sects are, they're out there. It doesn't, for me, it's just very individual. Okay, cool. Um, Awesome. That's a great intro to kind of where you guys are at spiritually. Um, And I also want to talk about where you're at with like this whole career that you've both chosen and that I have (laughs) abandoned essentially is this uh, working in mental health. Yeah, I'm a trader. I'm so sorry. Um, that's a whole topic for another episode, I'm sure. But <laughs> I don't blame you. It's hard work. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about what drew you guys to the field of mental health, therapy, working in, in that kind of environment uh, with that kind of work. Like, what was it that was enticing? Is it similar to the kind of draw that you had maybe to like religious needs or spiritual questions, or is it something different? And you know, just tell us about, you know, that relationship, the relationship you have with the field of therapy and whoever wants to start, whoever has a, a strong feelings about that. You can go ahead and go first on this one, Troy. Uh, I, I, yeah, looking at like the, the question you posed, I, I didn't get into mental health specifically because of my own spiritual doubts or questions about faith, right? I think growing up, I always knew that I wanted to work with people. I always knew that like I would be happiest if I was interacting with others. Um, and I think psychology or social work and mental health, like it was really taboo, right? Like we didn't talk about it in my upbringing, like, People who went to therapy like were weird. We didn't understand that. And maybe it was because of a lack of faith and it was very, um, yeah, it was just very taboo. And so I kind of stumbled across the field, um, through, through a mutual friend, obviously Jody was in my ward and she was like, Hey, come work with us over here. Um, for other people who are listening, Jody's one of our common friends. And so I, started working at the play at this um, residential treatment center, like we did with everybody else. And I just realized like, I love working with human beings, but more than anything, it wasn't like, I didn't want to become a teacher because I didn't really care to teach kids about math or how to read. It was just really trying to get into the thick of people's personal experiences, the emotions and all those taboo things that we're not supposed to talk about all those messy topics where it's just like, yeah, don't talk about those, avoid them, don't admit that you're struggling. I was, I kind of always kind of rejected that within myself of like, no, we need to talk about this. Like I want to like lean in on people and I want to find how else other people navigate these situations. And that was more of the draw to me. And obviously spirituality is one of those subsets, right? Um, Yeah. Of those emotional messy topics. And so that's kind of how I ended up getting there. And it's been interesting how I kind of, ended up at Encircle and other places where I work where it seems to be this faith transition is a lot of what I talk about and deal with people, um, help people. Yeah. Cause that's also something that people are uncomfortable talking about in, in, you know, general contexts, right. Which yeah. in a context like mental health or therapy, they're allowed to talk about it, right. Like the way that our kids at that, at that learning at that, uh, residential center were able to talk about things that, you know, people had told them not to 
open up about. Yeah. And so I guess my draw was more of like, I wanted to help people. Um, I want to talk about things that people don't talk about and it's very intimate. It's very personal. And so faith transitions is just a part of that. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I love that. Do you find your, I'm just curious, do you find yourself uh, like a more atypically inquisitive person in like other social contexts, like outside of therapy, do you find yourself asking questions that other people are like, why is that's, that's so uh, that's really intimate or that's like a really close thing to ask. Yes. <laughs> Cause I think a lot of us are like that. I mean, I think I'm like that. And that's part of, cause I, I relate to everything you're saying about, you know, you want to dig into that kind of work because you want to ask those kind of questions and have those kind of conversations and have, yeah. yeah open up those kind of things that are taboo or that are, um, that are difficult right. to talk to, to talk think, about generally. Yeah. I think the more I work in this field, the less I am that way. Like I definitely have that draw, but there's sometimes like, yeah. oh, <laughs> it's like, Oh, now that's <laughs> more like work. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think at the root of my being, I'm just curious, right? Like I want to understand who is this person in front of me? What are their experiences? How do they conceptualize the world? And I want to see, what's going on and I want to learn from them because I think that they must be doing something right. Right. And I want to see different perspectives because I think that's beautiful and I just want to connect with other people. And then, you know, part of just being a counselor, right. When you see things or hear things, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't, maybe there's a different way of seeing the world than just black and white. Right. And so, yeah, yeah the, the root of my being is just being so curious about how people interact with themselves and with their world. Cool. Love that. Uh, Brianna, what about you? What are some, some of the reasons or some of the factors in your interest in mental health and therapy? Um, I think I'm just going to copy and paste most of what Troy <laughs> said and we can just <laughs> voice me over it. Um, just kidding. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm kind of with him in the fact that I didn't, I didn't have like a draw because of any like spirituality issues originally or anything like that. But I love that that's been my background because amazingly enough, like I don't work it in circle or I don't work in these programs that like are trying to do a segue point of like spiritual trauma or getting out of, um, spirituality, but it has come up in every single place I've worked. I mean, it obviously just Utah, but like, it's just amazing to me and not even just in Mormonism. Like, it's just amazing to me how much religious trauma a lot of people have and how much like a structured mindset of like of parenting and parenting in a religious aspect can really affect, um, attachment Mm. and it can really affect like people and how they grow up and how they develop and how their cognitive stigmas start. And so I just think it's so fascinating that it like so much of that has come up in any, any avenue that I've kind of explored in therapy so far. So, um, I originally went to BYU wanting to do education, just because everyone told me I'd be like a good teacher and I'm good with kids. And so I was like, okay, I'll do, I'll do, do yeah. it. And then I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> like all the people that were in it, like I didn't hate them, but it was like, it was just not the vibe that I wanted. It was like, this is not, I'm not getting anything out of classes. Like I don't really like the interactions that I'm having here. Like I want more. And so I was exploring and I was like, well, like in my IB and AP psychology classes, I was acing it while everyone was dying. So like maybe I should go, go try something in like that field. And I went there and I could not get enough. It was like one of the, I think it's poli sci and like psychology and sociology are one of the only ones at BYU that like you can have classes where you can talk about a little bit of taboo stuff. Yeah. Like my sociology of gender class at BYU was my favorite class. Cause they, they would just talk about things that I like almost felt naughty talking about, but I loved it. It was like, Oh, USGA could come in and like have guest speakers or, Oh my God, we're talking about people who are transgender and not like they're dirty. And like, it was just so fascinating. So, and the power struggle struggle between men and women and how that can be shown in the church. Um, anyway, so I just like was drawn to this and couldn't get enough like about psychology and people and therapy and all those really cool aspects of it. So, um, and then, so I was really into it and was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life after getting a bachelor's in psychology, because like, what do you do with your life after that work at Macy's? I don't, I really don't know. Like I couldn't figure out what I was going to do with my life and I'm sure you could do awesome things, but I was like so stuck on the fact that I wanted to do like mental health with it and it felt like I was stunted. So, um, I went in and started learning about the bachelor, the master's of social work degree. And I have been, my parents have called me quote, the defender of the defenseless sent end quote since before I can remember, like 
I would defend people. That is a badass dying title. Class. Thank you. <laughs> I will take should, that. I want to like. Yeah, you should put that on your card. Like yeah, that's really good. <laughs> like I'm going to get a bumper sticker that says it. Like I'm all over that. Um, so anyway, that kind of was resonating in my head the entire time I was at this like orientation to social work. And I was like, this is it. This is, it wasn't like the psychiatrist that you saw in the movies, like with their pen and pencil, like, let me tell you all your problems with your life and tell you how to fix it. And most of them are with drugs. Like it was actually people who were in with their sleeves up, getting dirty. And like, I just want to be in your experience with you. And I've always been that person that like tries to radiate warmth and leave people and leave things and just better than I found them and just try to provide that with just a safe space. So I just kind of dug in and I was like, this is it. Like, this is calling to me because it's like this kind of the universe thing that I am harping on, like my spirituality, like that was the universe telling me like, this is, this is it, Brianna. Like, this is what you've been kind of prepping for your whole life. Yeah. So I ran with it. I love that. I love that both of you mentioned this, like kind of uh, this relationship with the clients. It's this attachment, this, uh, you know, getting your hands dirty, getting into the issues, getting into the questions, the things that no one else wants to talk about. And I, I think that's, I think I relate to that. That's part of why I was drawn to it also back when I was, you know, in that field, it was something that I felt like um, could allow me to connect to people in a way that, that other things fell short of, you know, and this is why I framed the question this way. It seemed like you're both a little surprised that I, you know, kind of equated this drive to do mental health with this, you know, spiritual yearning. And, but for me, it really was like a similar kind of yearning for me. It was, it was the things that I couldn't get at church or the questions that they weren't answering at church. I felt like something like attachment theory, for example, was able to answer, you know, or different, different kinds of therapy. Just as you were saying that kind of brought up something for me. Um, I think when I was like in grad school and you know how, well, Brianna would know, you might not know, but like, Part of like your group therapy classes, you have to go to like AA meetings and like observe different types of group. And I think one of the first times I ever went to an AA meeting, I would describe that experience as spiritual, right? Because it was something where it's like, oh my gosh, like these are people who are just speaking so authentically and so real and so raw about who they are. And you're so drawn to that. You're so connected to that. There's no facade. There's no fakeness. It's just real. And it's just so raw. Um, and so what I, I mean, I don't know what you said that sparked my, sparked this thought in my head, but like part of just connecting with people and sitting with people on these like messy topics or in these sitting with them in their shame or their embarrassment or um, their problems or anxiety, their depression, it almost feels spiritual at times because it's just like, they're entrusting with you in this huge thing. And they're just so raw and so vulnerable. It's, it is spiritual in a way, I guess you can say, because you yeah. just feel so connected and so privileged and honored that they would trust you in that way. Amen. Yeah. I have, uh, I have a testimony of therapy. I can say that for sure. <laughs> and I say this in yes. amen. I also agree. Um, let's dig into some, questions. There's a few that I had prepared, but also some that um, some of our listeners had submitted to me. I, you know, I, I posted in one of our private, like a private Facebook group for single transitioning Mormons and, and asked, you know, I'm going to be talking to with a couple of therapists. What are some things you guys want to know? And I added them to my questions. So one of the first ones that came to mind that I wanted to throw out to you guys was um, just talking about like uh, self-care skills, you know, like tools. Um, cause as therapists, I'm sure you're well acquainted with, um, kind of this toolbox metaphor. A lot of therapists use of this, this, uh, giving your clients, you know, various methods with which they can kind of tackle different anxieties, problems, issues that maybe you can't anticipate verbatim in your office, but, you know, you can give them the tools so that they can say, oh, this is very similar to what my therapist told me might happen. So here's the, here's the skill that I have. Um, and are there any like self-care skills that you've learned or that you've come across that maybe you hadn't thought of, uh, in that way before, you know, throughout your studies, throughout your careers, um, that you have found helpful in your own kind of faith journey, or that you think some of our listeners might find helpful in their faith journeys? Just, with regard to the stress of going through a faith transition, what are some skills that you would like to kind of highlight? Um, so I, I, I think that 
I mean, this isn't necessarily a self-care tool, but I think that this is such a big thing of exploration Mm -hmm. and I'm going to harp on my degree for like around my profession for like a half a second, but I honestly think everyone can do awesome work in therapy. And I think that that's like one of the biggest versions of self-care you can do um, because it's when you go through a faith transition and you go through something like um, stripping yourself of almost like your identity and your purpose, because I mean, anyone that's grown up in church knows like that is like your meaning and identity and it's your, it's your social group. It's your family. It's, it's, they literally set it up to be everything. And so when you take that away, I think a lot of it, you can build back up, you can build back up friendships, you can find different communities, but there's a hole in like in yourself and in your identity where it's like, how do I build that back up? And it's really hard to do that work by yourself. So I think going even for myself as a therapist, like I've gone in and I've done like trauma work. I've I've done EMDR on um, going through a faith transition because I've had like trauma and about um, going through the temple and the guilt and the shame and all that kind of stuff. So it is an all encompassing um, process. And I think it really takes having a great support system and having someone kind of walk you through what is your value system? What do you believe in? Like, what is your greater spirituality? Like identifying all these things and aspects of yourself that you haven't thought about before in like a safe environment when there's no judgment, there's no guilt. Like it's just you and another human exploring who it is that you want to be and what influence you want to make on the world stripped of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that's a huge thing I'd throw out there. I think self-care is kind of so individualized. I have gotten in better like mental and physical state since I left the church. I take care of my body better. I was like binge eating when I was leaving the church. I was like treating myself terribly. I'd have weeks where I wasn't like doing anything physically for myself. I was like crying all the time. Like it just is finding people that are support systems that will love you either way. Like I want I feel like everyone thinks that um, their family will support them no matter what, but in the church, that's not always the case. And I would find myself crying on the phone with my parents, just trying to get them to understand where I was and just trying to get them to a more like um, objective stance. And that wasn't fair for them or for me because they were going through a grieving process. So to find friends and connections and people kind of like that cool group that you're talking about on Facebook where lots of transition groups, people that you can just, even if you stay in the church, you can throw out questions of like, this is what I'm struggling with. Someone just like call out to me and say, you struggled with it too. Um, cause we all, we all just need that support and knowing like, what is my, what is my go-to? And what is a healthy go-to? What isn't a healthy go-to? And how do I thrive on the healthy and kind of cut out all of those unhealthy skills? Yeah, I love that. Uh, anything you want to add, Troy? Um, yes, I love everything that Brianna said. And I don't know if like my add-on is necessarily like a coping skill, I guess you could say, but more of like a mindset. Okay. Is that um, I just think it's really important to kind of watch for our own thinking errors in the process. I think, um, and I guess I can only speak about my experience, right? But I think growing up LDS, or I don't know what we're supposed to call it these days. I don't stay up on that. But growing up LDS, I think I saw the world in a very black and white way. And that was very difficult, right? It's either you're good or you're bad. It's right or it's wrong. You're going to heaven or you're going to hell. And you see things in black or white and it's really, really hard because as you go through this um, faith transition, if you start seeing the rest of the world that way, you find yourself digging in and getting into power struggles with people and finding conflict and defensiveness and anger and confrontation in places that you, it's not really helpful or useful. Um, So that black and white thinking, that all or nothing thinking, it's really, I think, for me, it was so liberating to learn how to live in the grade where I can say, you know, not all um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints think this way or feel this way or believe in this. Or, you know, just kind of going out of like those pigeonholed corners and just being able to be so flexible and be open-minded because that way you're kind of opening yourself up to a new experience, if that makes sense. And um how can you transition or go to a new experience if you're not opening yourself up for that to happen? And so you can't change something that's black and white and go into a whole new black and white world 
because then you're going from one extreme to the other. And I think it's just so important to like open up your mind to say, what else could be going on here? What else could be true? What else could, um, what else could I experience that would be somewhere in the middle of this? Um, I think extreme jumping is, is difficult and way more exhausting. And so, yeah, just being open-minded and flexible thinker, it's so helpful. Yeah, I love that. And it's, uh, it's a little bit overwhelming to the task of, of becoming open-minded or of approaching a, you know, a unfamiliar subject with open-mindedness. It, it, it is asking a lot or it feels like it's asking a lot sometimes, but like you said, it makes it easier in the long run. I would say, yeah, you, you don't paint yourself into these black and white corners um, of rigidity that way. And it, and it makes it easier to have healthy relationships and dialogues with people. Uh, absolutely. I would agree with that. You're just moving um, yourself from being stuck in one corner to being stuck in the other. Right. right. So. Yeah. Um, this ties in really well with one of the questions that one of our listeners submitted. Um, she said, I struggle to not be judgmental and vocal about the possible damage that the church can do to those I love who are choosing to stay. And she said, for example, how do I balance my desire to educate and protect my nieces and nephews, who she says are 12 to 18 years old, um, from the potential harm of the church teachings against respecting my siblings' desire for perfectly faithful children? So it sounds like she's saying she's got sister, you know, sisters and brothers who are in the church and their kids she's worried about. Um, she And she wants to express that worry or to deal with that worry without alienating you know, the people like her siblings who still believe in these things that she no longer believes in that she thinks are actually harmful. Um, do you guys have any advice on that sort of like non-judgmental, how do we do that kind of dialogue with family, especially family members, but I guess anyone that we're close with. It's so hard <laughs> and hits so deep. <laughs> um, yeah. I've talked to my dad a lot about this because he seems to get on this like weird storyline of, if you're not in the church and you find like harm in it or that you find that like Joseph Smith was wrong or all whatever he says that my thing is, he's like, you should be adamantly against it. You should be fighting against it. You should be fighting to get us out of it. And I like, can't like wrap my mind completely Mm. around that because I've kind of, um, I I like the listener's question and like, I just want to plant a seed of like, it could be different. And that I like that because that's way more where I like, um, identify with, like, I don't adamantly hate Mormons. Like, it's not like all of a sudden I like want them all to like not be in the church anymore. And I mean, they've hurt like the gospel, the culture of the church has hurt me a lot, a lot in my life, but I have never come to a place where it was like any hate or anger or anything like that or resentment. And it's almost like my dad is in this black and white thinking of like, if you're not in and you think that it's like was started by a bad man, then you should be adamantly out and always throwing us under the bus and always trying to get us out. Um, so I think what's hard is trying to get people out of that black and white thinking, but being gentle about it yeah. almost. And that can be really hard and triggering, especially when you're doing your own process and journey. Um, I've actually talked about this with my, a lot of my siblings because I'm, I am married to a woman and we will probably have kids someday And so I've like emotionally vented to them before of like, how will you teach your children that we're okay? Like, are you going to tell them that like we don't belong or that we're unnormal or immortal or like immoral or whatever? Are you like going to really harp on how evil we are basically? Um, And a lot of them are just like, no, like we're just going to have such a compassionate, loving, like even though they don't believe the same way we do, that's okay. That's okay that people have different points of views. And I think that's kind of what I've taken to heart and what I would talk to like nieces and nephews about when they grow up is like, just like as your parents are telling you, I have a different belief system. Like you can obviously explore that for yourself. And like, I'd be open and honest to my siblings about that. Like I'm going to tell them what my belief system is. And like, I'm just going to be open and honest that like they can go and explore that for themselves. And that's not to disrespect you at all. It's just being authentic to myself. And I will always tell them that I, to go and talk to your parents as well. Like, it's not this secretive, stupid thing of like, Ooh, I'm going to get you out of the church. It's just letting them know that like, I'm here. This is what I believe in. This is what your parents believe in. If you're struggling like this isn't like a secret thing. You can come to, you can go to them and talk to them, but my siblings are pretty rational. So it, it can get hard in the lines of like 
people who just like are crazy yeah. basically and siblings that just won't listen or parents that just won't listen. I think that's where I struggle is if any of my siblings were that way and not rational and like blew up because I talked to their children, I don't know how I'd navigate those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess the only thing that I could really add to that is, you know, it is hard, right? Like, um, how do you navigate your own life when people who are close to you and love you and say that they care about you, um, have ideals or beliefs that are really invalidating, right? Like how do, how do I manage a relationship with, with brothers and sisters or siblings or parents who believe that the way that I'm living my life is a sin or that I'm not going to go to heaven, right? right? Like that's really invalidating and can be really, really damaging. Um, and I think what I've adapted in my life and I don't know if it's best for everybody, right? Cause I try to keep that open perspective of like, okay, if you are going to be your happiest self living in the LBS church, you live that life because you deserve to be happy, right? But at the same time, you have to allow me to live my life in a way that I'm going to be the most happy. And I know that it's not going to be under those guidelines, I guess you can say. Right. So it's kind of like a you know, good for you, not for me type mentality. And I think um, when it comes to those invalidating topics, sometimes you have to draw lines where it's like, you know, you can believe in whatever you're going to believe in, but when it is harmful or hurtful to me or to people that I love, I'm going to say something that I think that that's harmful because I'm still going to be a good person. I'm going to protect the people that I care about. And I don't, I don't want teachings of, you know, teaching that homosexuality is bad or wrong or sinful being taught to people because that's not how I believe. And so I will speak up and I will say, you know, you're allowed to believe whatever you believe in. However, I don't believe in that. And I'm going to say, speak up about that. And I think that's okay because I'll respect that. That's what you believe in. If as long as you respect what I believe in, we can draw lines where we're not hurting each other and we can kind of coexist in a way that isn't harmful or invalidating or, you know, driving a wedge between the relationship. Cause is it even a relationship at that point? I think that um, there's something really powerful that I learned in group therapy sessions when, you know, when we worked together in that treatment center, the general rule of thumb was always use I feel statements, right? So instead of saying you did this to me or you're a bad person because of this, this, and this, um, if we focus, if we structure our point of view in this I feel kind of way of like, I feel invalidated when you continue to support a system that teaches you that my way of life is a sin or I feel, you know, hurt or I feel um, dismissed or, you know, whatever it is. When, when we say, when we frame it that way, then it's not an accusation anymore. It's not a, a confrontation of, of like, this is why you're bad. This is why you're wrong. It's more of just like, here's how I feel. And I need you to know that I need you to like confront it, acknowledge it, um, sit with it and, and see me as a person. And I think, um, this is really hard work. It's something that's really hard for me. I think to do consistently is to, is to voice my concerns with the church and with church culture in a way that's more, I feel and less kind of attack mode. Um, but I think it's really important distinction to make and and it goes a long way in helping people understand right it's an invitation yeah. to connect right and i think anyone would say with their family that they we can experience more connection more closeness more emotional social intimacy right and so using those i feel statements as an invitation to connect of like let me tell you what it's like for me when you say those things or when you do those things or when you support these ideals it makes me feel unsafe around you or it makes me feel because I don't know X, Y, Z, you know? So it's, um, I love that. So this, this ties in, I mean, maybe this way, maybe we've covered this, but another listener submitted question is I would love a kind of primer on healthy conflict for dummies or emotional intimacy for dummies. Uh, This person was talking, I, I kind of took a clip out of the whole paragraph that they had written, but basically the context was, um, Sometimes the emotion, the emotional intimacy that comes with 
talking about things that are difficult or that might be conflicting or that might be controversial um, is lost. That emotional intimacy is lost because we in, in this culture, and this is not specific to Mormon culture or to post-Mormon culture, it's just kind of modern culture in general. We have a hard time talking about difficult or controversial or meaty subjects with each other. And by connection, in connection with that difficulty, we have a hard time being emotionally intimate with each other in a way that maybe we should be. This is connected to a lot of things that we've already talked about, but do you have any more thoughts, either of you on this, this listener is asking for a primer, <laughs> I guess. I don't know uh, how uh, prepared we are to, you know, give a crash course on healthy conflict for dummies, but that's kind of what they're asking. And, and I think it's an interesting question. It's related <laughs> to what we've been kind of dissecting already, but any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I kind of like what you guys have already been saying about like opening up the space in like just being present and saying, I feel, and like, this is just my experience and owning that, like that already goes a long way. I think that, um, I don't think naturally humans are as reactive and as combative and as defensive as we end up being as adults. I think we like the world shows us that that's how we have to react and we have to have that guard. And honestly, if everyone was as emotionally available to each other as they should be, me and Troy wouldn't have a job because that's, that's literally our job is creating that space for people to be like, just like have that self-exploration. And then they're like, wow, I haven't even told this to my mom, my husband, my dog. Like I have never had this kind of like emotional like space to feel like I could be this vulnerable and not have judgment. And I think a lot of that actually is um, their own self-talk. And this beautiful shame word that I keep loving saying, but I think a lot of it is their own internal work of like, I constantly feel like everyone is judging me. And I constantly feel like I have to wear this mask of like, I don't have anything wrong. I don't have anything wrong. And I think particularly, like, I think we do that in society. I think we've done that a lot in religious aspects. Um, but I think, I think we just keep putting up barriers to keep, to keep people at further and further of an arm's length. Um, cause we're worried that like, Generally, I think every single human in this entire world has at one point or another had the thought, I am unsafe or I am unloved. That's kind of where the pain cycle comes from. And that's where the contention cycle comes from. It comes, stems from a belief system of something is happening here that I am either unsafe or I am unloved. And um, it's like a core belief that's hard to get past. And that's why we're f- constantly fighting ourselves for connection. It's because it doesn't feel safe. I don't feel safe to tell them why I'm feeling unsafe or unloved. So it's, I, I think the more that you do self-work, the more that you can kind of see that and create spaces for other people to be vulnerable. And as you create that space and they have vulnerability, you can also have that vulnerability cool. back. And I think the only thing that I would add to that is um, I think sometimes I'm going to like the conflict for dummies is check your agenda. I think some people go into crucial conversations thinking I win when my parents uh, agree, like they change their mind or my loved one or brother or sister, you know, if I can convince them Mm. that they're wrong, then I win. And that never elicits a positive conflict resolution, right? Like we don't go around changing people's minds that easily. Right. Um, if you're going into a conflict saying like, Hey, I need my family to denounce the LDS church and to leave it in order for me to feel validated. That's not going to happen. Right. Like I never hear stories of people successfully doing that. Right. So it's about opening up that space, being emotionally available to them and their experiences and kind of expecting the same from them. And then also kind of checking your own expectations of like, what is the outcome? Am I actually going to convince their mind? Are they actually going to leave the church? Are we actually going to agree about these things? Probably not. But can we be emotionally safe with each other? And can we still feel connection? And can we still validate each other and care for each other? Even if we don't understand? Yeah, sure, we can do that. And then we're attending to the emotions and not the content or the disagreements or the different perspectives. Yeah, I love that. It's really, yeah, it's really um, a poignant corrective, I think, to a very prominent kind of uh, 
culture of competitiveness that we have. And again, this is definitely not specific to Mormonism or post-Mormonism or religion generally. There's just this thing in modern culture where everyone wants to win, everyone wants to be the smartest, wants to be right, wants to be the strongest, wants to be um, first, you know, and and most important. And yeah, I think that that corrective is is so important that we we need to teach ourselves to approach a conflict with different with a different agenda with how can I, how can I look at this differently? So I'm not coming in, you know, at war, you know, come in at peace instead of at war. Right. Listen with the intent to understand, not to reply. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Um, I think we have time for one more. Let me look through and see if I can pick. There's one, well, this kind of ties into the the shame things that you were mentioning, um, Brianna, but one of our listeners wrote, that regarding the feelings of loneliness and isolation and disconnect that many millennials experience, especially but not limited to those who leave religion, um, they asked, how do we go about tackling this? So again, this is similar to a lot of the stuff we were talking about at the beginning with kind of the self-care stuff, but specifically with regard to loneliness, isolation, disconnect, and I'll just throw shame in there uh, in addition to their list. Um, But how do we how do we tackle that feeling of feeling like we're alone, feeling like we, um, like one of you mentioned just a moment ago, that, that unlovedness that we feel or that we conclude must be true of us. Okay, Troy, you do, you go first this time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, the first thing that came to mind and working, I work a lot with the LGBT community. Um, and so it feels like, a lot of people when they are leaving the church or coming out and those types of things is very lonely and isolating. Cause it seems to be that in this transition or with this new information that you're putting out to the world, it seems that the only thing mom and dad see or our loved ones see is the differences between us. And that feels really lonely because it's no longer, I'm no longer, the same person that I've always been all of a sudden, like, well, now I'm the ex Mormon or now I'm the gay brother, or now I'm the lesbian sister or the trans brother, you know, like, um, it seems to be that a lot of times people focus solely on what's different and not what's the same. And so I guess like the skill there about how do we go about tackling this, this issue is, um, we have to still be able to teach people about how we are still alike. We are more alike than we are different, right? Like all the things that we had in that relationship prior to leaving um, or faith transition or coming out or whatever it is that's going on in your life is still the same, right? You're still the same person. You still love the same jokes, the same sports teams. You still enjoy the same hobbies, the same foods, um, talking about, certain things. And it seems to be that like sometimes the focal point is what is different and not what's the same. And I don't know if it's just an LDS Utah culture thing, or if it's a human nature thing, but it seems to be that we, we focus on that one difference um, rather than being able to see that our value systems might actually be so much the same and so similar where we still value family and friendliness and kindness and service and loyalty and work ethic and all these other values that make up people. Um, and so I think when I think back to like my own personal feelings of loneliness, isolation and disconnect or the experiences of my clients that I've worked with, I really think that there's a preserve, uh, you know, stuckness on this is why I'm different. Therefore I can't feel disconnected, but people who are very different can still feel connection and can still feel uh, support and have people rally around them. But you have to be able to see through the difference and see how you're still the same. It reminds me of, um, ironically, it reminds me of uh, a Mormon leader, Gordon B. Hinckley, right? Like he, there's this, there's this kind of debate in a lot of Mormon culture, Mormon discourse of like, how do we do missionary work? How do we tell everyone that we're the best and the only true church and not be assholes, you know? And uh, there is this, there is this approach that Gordon Hinckley took um, back in, I don't know, must have been the nineties where he said, look, just look at it this way. Tell people that, um, we love and appreciate the truth that they have and the and the light that they have in their lives, and we just want to add a little bit to it. We just want to see 
what we can contribute. And unfortunately, I don't think that Mormon culture uh, sticks to that philosophy as well as maybe it could. Um, although I have seen instances of that kind of approach, and it's really much healthier. But I like I like your approach, Troy, of just of just taking that to not just Mormonism, but post-Mormonism or coming out or any other kind of difference, maybe even political or economic or racial differences that we have with each other or, you know, any other kind of philosophical approach that's instead of focusing on the difference or on convincing them that you're right and they're wrong, it's, okay, let's see where our common ground is. Let's, let's admire and appreciate the truth and the love that you have that I also love or that I also hold dear, the things that you care about that I also care about. Because inevitably, like you said, that that list will be quite long most of the time, right? Like we have a lot in common with each other. Um, Brianna, do you have anything to add to this question of loneliness, isolation, disconnect, shame? Yeah, I, I love and um, say and everything that's already been said. I, th- I think that Troy said that really well. Um, I would also, I kind of touched on this for a minute in that, like, give yourself some compassion and um, realize that when we come from such a culture that's so all encompassing, there's going to be like that loneliness and that like desperation and sometimes pretty bad depression when you're kind of taken away from your family, your community, your everything is kind of stripped from you. Right. And um, that's where you have to kind of build yourself from the bottom up. And I, I love the concept that um, seek out the commonalities over the differences. I also think that it, it is productive to find different communities and to like seek that out. And um, because while you're doing self-exploration, sometimes it's hard to see like all of the similarities. Sometimes it's hard to see like my family still loves me. Sometimes it's hard to see like they, they can still seem eye to eye to things because I've had days where it's like, they literally don't agree with me on anything in life. And so I don't even know, like, I don't even know how to talk to these people. So to like seek out, um, people in these cool Facebook groups and there's awesome communities. There's people, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there's this cool community group that meets on Sundays that hasn't, it's not even religious at all, but it just has like, so people can talk. It's almost like Ted talk style. People just discuss really cool concepts. They have coffee. Um, they're just like there as a community members together, making friends, making connections, making sure people are not isolated. So seeking out opportunities like that to make sure that you're not so in your headspace and not so like isolated is a really productive thing to do while you're figuring out, okay, I can still have the relationships of the people in the church. I don't have to cut off all my friends and family, but I need to also kind of seek people out that are validating me in my journey. I love that. Um, anything else you guys want to add kind of, uh, as we wrap up any plugs you guys have, and we're going to, for our listeners who are wondering, we're definitely going to include links in our show notes to some of the organizations that we've mentioned, USGA and circle, um, that single Mormon transitions group will include some resources to learn more about, you know, some of the Arbinger principles that we've discussed and attachment theory, things like that. But is there anything else, you know, um, as we're approaching the end here that you guys wanted to talk about, we didn't get a chance to, or that you wanted to plug or discuss or explain a little bit further. No, I, only other thing. I mean, we could talk about this at ad nauseum, right? Like we could just go on and on and on. I think we're just, I think it's important to mention that we've only like <laughs> hit the tip of the iceberg of things we can talk about and discuss. Um, Cause it's such, such a huge process and sometimes big change. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens over time. And Patience is such a huge part in everything that we do. Yeah, that's a really good disclaimer. Um, anyone listening to this who is expecting um, a perfect encapsulation of everything that you can do this week to be magically all better by the end of the week is going to be disappointed because, yeah, like you said, this is very this is a very difficult work, right? This is this kind of self work, especially that you guys have described. Is this takes a long time and a lot of uh, a lot of introspection a lot of difficult sometimes inter- introspection and so i appreciate you guys coming on the show and giving us kind of a good head start on some of these topics um and any listeners who have any you know follow up questions or other resources you want to um, point out to us, definitely feel free to email us otospodcast at gmail uh, Let us know on iTunes if you liked this uh, episode. Um, let your friends know and follow us on social media: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. Let's go in the garden. You'll 
side was a production of the Open Stories Foundation between July 19th and October 25th of 2018. Intro and outro theme for this podcast is Everything Stays, a Rebecca Sugar cover by Bly Wallentine. You can find more of Bly's music at blywallentine.com. Everything stays right where you left it.